Super Talk Mississippi media production. In Mississippi, with our ever-changing weather, termites and household pests can disrupt your family life and take a toll on your home. Call Family Termite and let us help protect your home. 601-933-1014. Or reach us at www.family-termite.com. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Coast View, uh, the show that celebrates coastal Mississippi. Uh, we, we're not just celebrating coastal Mississippi, we're celebrating the people who make this a better place to live, work, and play. How you doing this morning, Kyle? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Good. Another cold morning outside. Feels good. It does feel You know, good. it's a cold morning when all of your tires need air pressure. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Except for the one that has the big nail in it. <laughs> right. You have a nail this morning? <laughs> I've had one for about four months, and it's held strong through every winter that we've had. Wow. That's, that's cool. It's the other three. So, who are you for for the Super Bowl? Um... I'm going with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I would be going for anybody that's playing your 49ers. <laughs> well, you know, the Saints lost, so, you know, we are where we are. But I got to be for San Francisco. Um, I'm a proud Southern Miss fan. And Nick Mullins, the backup quarterback, is a, is a Southern Miss guy. You know, I'll root for Nick, but I just can't, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's good to remember in 2015, he, he made – the single-season passing record and touchdown record at Southern Miss. He beat Brett Favre's yep, records. Right. Um, and he's married to a wonderful wife. Her name is Haley, and she's from coastal Mississippi. And uh, and Nick and Haley are really, really good friends with my son, Justin. So we got to root for Nick. we got to root for Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready to be inspired this morning? Are you having difficulties in your life or challenges in your life? Do you wonder... You know, is there hope? Stay tuned because today's guest is for you. Mm-hmm. Todd Trenchard is the executive director of the Baco McCarty Foundation, and his story is truly inspiring. He defines resilience. Uh, his story is about coming back from the brink, and I do mean coming back from the brink. The difficulties at one point in his life seemed literally insurmountable. But he not only overcame his challenges, he became a bank executive and a nonprofit leader. He also became one of the most driven community leaders in coastal Mississippi. When I look back at my time as pr- president and publisher of the Sun-Herald and the Mississippi Press, <clears throat> I have a hard time thinking of anyone who is more inspiring and more driven than Todd. He's smart. He's really smart. And he's passionate. Uh, he cares deeply about coastal Mississippi, and he's here with me in the studio today. Get ready to be inspired. Thanks for joining me, Todd. Well, this is quite an honor. Uh, sitting with the legend himself. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> but you know what? I mean, I'm serious. For people who have difficulties in their lives, and they wonder, you know, they're just kind of going through life, and they wonder, is there a light at the end of the, end of the, at, the at the end of this rainbow? I want them, or at the end of this tunnel, I want them to to, to hear your story today. And to be inspired to, to, to get help and to find their way because the way is there. You just have to be aware. And that's what this is going to be about today. So what I want to do, I want to start in a different place than we would normally start this show. I'm going to read um, a couple of quotes to you, three in, in particular. Mm-hmm. 
And when I get done, I want to hear your thoughts about these three quotes. Okay? Here's the first one. It's by Jock Ewing. Any man can win when things go his way. It's when the man who overcomes adversity, it's when a man overcomes adversity that he is the true champion. That's the first one. The second one. A man of character finds a special attractiveness in difficulty, since it is only by coming to grips with his difficulty that he can realize his true potential. That was Charles de Gaulle who said that. And this last one is attributed to a bunch of different people, but one of them is Albert Einstein. And it says, adversity introduces a man to himself. What do those quotes uh, make you think of? Well, it makes me think of my life. Uh, a, a life that was filled with a lot of potential when it started out. Uh, and I, I say this all the time. I didn't start out or think I would ever end up how it would end. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, I had a problem with alcohol and drugs. And uh, it caused me to go to places that most people will never even imagine exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, took me to places to where like you were just reading, you start looking inside um, instead of doing what normal people would do throughout my 20s and 30s. Uh, uh, I was trying to survive. I was trying to find an answer to this uh, thing that I had. And um, um, taught me a lot about adversity. It taught me a lot about resilience. I was determined that I was not going to let this keep me down. Uh, it didn't matter when I had been to 10 treatment centers, 20, 30, and then even 40 treatment centers. I was going to keep getting back up. Um, so, so, Todd, your life, your life is a real story in resilience. And, you know, some people just throw that, that word around, resilience. But yours is. So why don't we do this? Let's start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the very beginning. You grew up in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your life in New Orleans and what it was like in the early days. Well, uh, again, like, uh, well, everyone that I knew, I don't know about everyone, but uh, I was afforded a very uh, good education, private schools, uh, went to, uh, you know, college, knowing that, you know, I was going to be a Tulane grad, knew that I was going to probably be an executive because that's what my father did. And that's what everyone else's father did. Uh, but along the way, Ricky, uh, you know, I whatever alcohol does to some people it did to me and uh, my father was an alcoholic Uh, my father uh, was very successful I always wanted to be like him and uh, uh, I guess when I took that first drink and I could feel it doing something you know to me uh, that uh, I, I guess I just assumed that this is what made my dad special uh, so I did a little more and then a little more. How, how old were you when you had your first drink? First drink at 13. 13 I remembered on the yeah. levee, I was li- listening to Bye Bye Miss American Pie. Wow. I, I remember, remember it as clear yeah. as uh, it was yesterday. Uh, it was a Bacardi uh, rum and an icy. And when I drank it, I could feel it go down my throat, go through my veins. I, I sometimes describe it as I could feel the hairs growing on the back of my my neck. From that second, I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew there was something different about this substance. And I, I think I internalized that this is what makes my dad so unique and different. 
Uh, and so I started doing it more and more, and it quickly took hold of my life. Uh, I went from a life of tremendous promise. I was always a great athlete, and I guess I was a great, uh, not great, but uh, very intelligent, uh, had, had some intellect and did well in school. But alcohol started changing those priorities pretty quickly. And uh, after a couple years stint at the great college of LSU in Baton Rouge, my father uh, told me that uh, after two years, I had accomplished an amazing goal of one hour. And he made me come back home, and I went to Tulane for the next, you know, quite a long time and uh, got into the bar scene. Uh, it was in the bar scene that I was introduced to cocaine, and that was 19, well, late, early, uh, I guess, 1980s. And from there, my life basically stopped. Uh, my father had gotten sober and in an attempt to I guess help me started sending me to treatment center after treatment center after treatment center uh, put me in the military uh, thought maybe the marines could do something with me all that did was turn me into you know somebody crazy that traveled the country uh, but then that that intellect that I had was able to get me uh, out of a lot of scrapes I was able to go to the defense language institute learn Korean uh, just pick it up end up at the Pentagon, ended up over there. Uh, again, it it became so all-encompassing that you look back at it today, you can't really realize just uh, what it's doing to you. But it took everything. It took uh, my future. It took away all my friends, eventually my family. Um, and then as it continued... I started uh, really struggling to whether I was going to live or not. Uh, it has these different phases. Uh, along the way, I inherited a lot of money. My father passed away, and uh, I, I came into a lot of money, and that just made it worse. Uh, I always say that when it can't get worse, it gets a lot worse. So what you thought was bad when you're 18 is nothing like it is when you're 28 and certainly nothing like it is when you're 38 but um, eventually um, it would take everything and I, I, I came to almost death's door um, and in an act of desperation uh, my mother brought me uh, over here to Mississippi a place called Home of Grace and uh, 1997 uh, the miracle happened and so uh, from there, yeah, it's been like a Cinderella story. So why don't we do this? Um, mm -hmm. When we come back, I I'm actually curious about how your mother learned about the home of grace. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, what was your state mentally and physically when you arrived on the door of Homes of Grace? And then uh, tell us the story when we come back about, you know, a great story of redemption in mm -hmm. your life. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Todd Trenchard the executive director for the Baco McCarty Foundation and a true inspiration. Uh, join us after the break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Did you know this could be the beginning of a bigger problem with your... 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. We're having a great conversation with our, our friend uh, Todd Trenchard, the executive director of the Baco McCarty Foundation, and whose story is really inspiring. He had his first drink when he was 13 years old, and the way he says it, by the time he was 18, it was over. Mm-hmm. And for the next 20 years, he struggled. And what's important about his story is that uh, that he did struggle for all those years, but he found the light. He found hope. Uh, so when we finished the conversation in the last segment, we were arriving at Homes of Grace. How did your mother learn about Homes of Grace? Well, actually, uh, it's a great story. Uh, the police were pulling into her driveway on Country Club Drive to take me down one more time for uh, having stolen something from her, and that was just sort of a... Uh, a weekly ritual uh, that she would have me picked up, I guess, for my own safety and for hers. But right in front of the police car was another lady, a friend of hers, who had just finished dropping her son off at the Home of Grace. And uh, her, she was a, a, a physician's wife, and uh, her son was being taken over there. And I remember her saying, Martha, you just need to, you know, give this place a shot. And so my mother and her maid put me in the car. They drove me over uh, to Van Cleve. And uh, I guess the best way to describe it, Ricky, I was something that the cat drug in. Uh, I was past the point of, uh, I guess, uh, my mother for years had been praying that something would happen for her son. But I say this all the time when I'm speaking. I came to the home of grace homeless, penniless. I was three quarters of a million in debt. I had no friends. I had no family. I weighed 129 pounds. I had sores on my body from malnutrition. I had turned orange from jaundice. I'd lost most of my teeth. And uh, uh, I say when recounting that story that my mother didn't bring me to the home of grace to get sober. She brought me there to die. And uh, that's... That's how it ended for me. Uh, I had lost any hope that anything could change, and I was just waiting on death. Uh, I hallucinated. Uh, my last drink was green-tinted rubbing alcohol with the Sprite. Uh, I had progressed even past drinking alcohol. My mind was totally gone, and I was getting so much grief that I thought I was sneaking drinks by getting rubbing alcohol at K&B and drinking it so I couldn't feel my hands or my feet my head was buzzing from I guess uh, you know alcohol poisoning uh, I was I was quite a, a sad state so and what happened you you arrive how did you find yourself what happened well I think that I don't know that I found myself. I think God found me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I say this all the time, you know, having a lot of intellect, you sometimes overthink stuff and you think you're smarter than anything, that there's nothing else out there. Well, there is. Uh, and it doesn't matter what others, you know, think because I've experienced it. But, you know, at the Home of Grace, a very profound experience happened on the banks of Bluff Creek. Uh, it happened to me very quickly, very uh, spontaneously, and once it happened, something like a movie where it went through me, I knew at that second that I had been chosen to do something. I had no idea what, 
Uh, in fact, there's a great story of writing on a piece of paper, uh, I shall make a difference on a roster way back then. Uh, nothing had changed. I was still homeless, penniless, no friends, no family. But I knew something was different internal. Uh, and from there, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, God showed me some people, direction. Uh, the recovery part has almost been like I just show up and door will open or a door will close and I just show up. I don't know that I've ever applied for a job. I haven't. Well, how long of a period of time was this? I stayed at the Home of Grace for about a year and a half, mm-hmm. uh, maybe two years. I had nowhere to go. And uh, I eventually would tell my story at first the high school and I'd get a rousing you know, welcome and applause from seven-year-olds, you know, seventh graders. Yeah. Uh, to eventually churches and people were like they were they were drawn to the forty treatment centers or all the money I'd been through, uh, but that was the end of my story. There was nothing else to add to it. It was just the past. It yeah. was a, a war story, as we call it. Uh, but I think God also knew that I was very broken and I needed to take time before. Uh, I would be able to, uh, you know, uh, be put in a position of any responsibility. So it actually was uh, a couple years of very menial work. My first job was frying chicken at Cajuns at Edgewater Mall. Tom Harvey wow, gave yeah, me a job. Yeah. He, he said, I uh, love that place. I met him. Uh, I think we were drinking coffee and he asked me to come over and uh, come to a store. I did, and I became a manager there. Uh, then I worked for the school district in uh, Ocean Springs. I met Anna Hurt as the superintendent, and she gave me the job as a sub- substitute coordinator uh, for the district. Of course, I was the only one that would wake up at 4 in the morning to call people. <laughs> uh, I started volunteering a little bit. I learned my community. Uh, that went on for a little bit, and then... As I was getting stronger and I was sober, now you're talking maybe four years or so, then I was given some opportunity with Home of Grace uh, to start doing some things. Um, I met Jolly McCarty, uh, who was on the board of directors. Uh, I guess he introduced me to Royce. Uh, I guess they watched me. Royce Cumbus. Royce Cumbus, Carl Crawford. There there was a group of them, Mm -hmm. and I think they just sort of watched me. Uh, for a little bit. Uh, I put on a golf tournament after Jolly passed away. Uh, they got some of their attention, and uh, from there I became a, a consultant. Uh, again, I think they're just watching me. Uh, and then when I'm sober, uh, probably six years, uh, I was afforded, I think, the best job in South Mississippi, and that was, you know, a person representing a community bank. Uh, and a way that was perfect for me, I could give back. Uh, because they say you can't keep it unless you give it away, so here's the perfect job that I can do that and focus on something that's uh, doing some good. Uh, I guess uh, we came up with an idea that we could honor Jolly with a, you know, a foundation. Had no idea how to do it, so we just added the name to the Baco Foundation. Mm-hmm. And... What's so amazing is the timing on all this, because I started the bank on August 1st, 2005. I started as the director of Baco McCarty on August 1st, 2005. Wow. And 29 days later, you're catapulted into this, uh, I guess, uh, position of responsibility. 
So let's, before we get into how Katrina really changed the trajectory of the foundation, mm-hmm. I'm curious about when you, when you finally got that job for the bank, to what extent were you driven internally not to let anyone down? And to what extent did that drive you? Talk, talk about that for a minute. I had a, uh, and I've always had, I don't know where it came from, this insatiable energy, insatiable desire to succeed. I wake up early. We both wake up early. We text at yeah. four in the morning. People don't understand. <laughs> and people ask me all the time, why do you get up at three o'clock? And I say, because you, you can't do it all if you get up at four. Yeah. But that's yeah. the answer. Uh, it, I channeled that negative energy into something positive. And uh, uh, I do work long hours. I, that is what I do. I enjoy work. I enjoy showing up every day. I get goosebumps every day when I went to work. Uh, but you didn't want to let the people who were who were who were placing bets on you. You didn't want to let them down. Oh no, no, and I wasn't going to let them down. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, a tremendous opportunity. Uh, I could have chased money. I could have chased. I knew this was the right answer for my skill set. And uh, again, I, looking back. I, it's incredible that the bank gave me that opportunity. I mean, after a person with my past, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I asked Royce about that in the early days, and he said, uh, "I just knew." You know, he had that same sort of voice that said, "You're the one." And uh, we did some we did some really good things. Obviously, you know, our careers started uh, uh, connecting, and uh, but Katrina really, I guess. Uh, the, added some fuel to the fire and pretty quickly uh i don't know where we came up with it but uh, we started a thing called rebuild jackson county and it was off of something they had done in florida called rebuild northwest florida i had picked up a brochure driving back from katrina again why yeah and i just remember saying we can do this here uh royce took me over to uh, the emergency management thing where i know i talked to jerry jerry was in the room jerry st pay uh, I think uh, some conversation had been made with Chevron. Chevron would present, I think it was a $750,000 check to me and Royce a day later, uh, and it started rebuilding the daycares, and all of a sudden, Baco McCarty is, who is this group? It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's off and running in, a, a, I guess, a recovery mode, and so we did that for a bit, and then it eventually came out of that and morphed into what it is today. So what I want to do is when we come back after the break, I want to actually talk a little bit more about uh, that morphing. You know, mm-hmm. how did it morph and how did how did the recovery effort and, and Katrina really change the trajectory of the foundation? And we'll move on into what are the kind of things we're doing today. But, but, but I'm actually interested in learning after the break, what did your friends from New Orleans and your family see or, or what did they think <laughs> about the about the you you became? Right. It's got to be some fascinating stories. It is. That. it is. So after the break, we're going to continue our conversation with uh, T- Todd Trencher, the executive director for the Baco McCarty Foundation. Back after this break. the former president and publisher of the Sun Herald and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to the Coast View. I'm here this morning with uh, Todd Trenchard, who is executive director of the Baco McCarty Foundation, and his personal story is truly amazing. Um, I want to actually get into, you know, what did your family and friends think when you when you found yourself? It's so amazing, or so sad, actually, to think that your mother dropped you off at Home of Grace, not to recover, but to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do that, let's. When did you know? Talk. What, was there a defining moment when you felt like you kind of got there? No, most definitely uh, the defining moment of my professional career, and I think in a lot of ways, even my personal life was uh, with the Sun Herald Awards, 2006, uh, getting that top community uh, leadership award. I remember you calling me. I was at the Chamber of Commerce. I answered the phone, and I, I think you you just said, well, congratulations, you made it. Uh, I remember going out to the car. I remember crying. Wow. And I remember it touching me because it was almost a validation that I had arrived and let go of the past, and I was now uh, starting to take baby steps and move forward. Uh, at the time, it was without question the most prestigious award we had on the coast. I remember seeing those names in the first class. And then eventually in Jackson County, you'd have Jerry uh, as the Herald was moving more into, uh, it, it just, it, it was, it was big. It yeah, was I, I didn't big realize, I didn't realize it at the time. That and I don't think I've ever told that to yeah, you, but yeah. uh, again, from that moment, I, I was able to then start, I was a judge for a couple of years. I yes, think I was did. able to, yeah. uh, you know, put some people else, put others up for that same award. Uh, of course, that's that's a long time ago now. And uh, uh, again, but that was probably my defining uh, sort of professional. Uh, I had arrived and uh, I was going to stand on my own feet and I was going to move forward and uh, we were going to do some great things. Now, as far as uh, my family and friends, uh, I think that award also is how Tommy Latard, of course, Tommy was a great friend of both of ours. Yeah. Uh, Tommy was here on the coast. I guess he was reading the Herald, saw it, and he actually got in touch with me. Yeah. Uh, and we hooked up. Tommy uh, and I grew up together as best friends uh, in New Orleans, and he was astounded at what he saw. Uh, but I think uh, a lot of the people that I left back then, uh, when, when they did contact me, usually the first words, we thought you were dead. Uh, mm-hmm. That was an, the initial thing. You had vanished. We thought you had passed away, and uh, certainly the alcohol and drugs had, uh, you know, taken your life. Uh, and then with Facebook, everybody started seeing it. And what you would think happened is not what happened. What happened was first they were amazed, and they would come around. We have some funny stories about that. But what I started seeing was people started calling me and asking me, "How are you staying sober?" Because now I'm sober 10 years. Now I'm sober pretty yeah. good length of time. And those those same people that I ran with are now, I guess they've been still out there. Uh, and I started helping them. And, uh, of course, wow. over the last 20-plus years, uh, I've helped a lot of people get into recovery. Uh, so you mentioned your brother used to fly people in. Well, he would come to the Jolly every year, and uh, he, of course, lived up in D.C., and he'd get all his LSU friends and our fraternity friends, and they'd come in uh, as a joke, and they'd take pictures with me as I was on <laughs> stage, <laughs> or I would be holding a big, you know, $200,000 check for my IP, and that, that became a sort of little banter back and forth, you know, with, with each of them. Uh, you know, again, just... 
you know, I grew up with some good people, uh, but they had fun with all this, and uh, we still are, are very close today. Uh, and unfortunately, I lost my brother a couple of years ago, but I've stayed great friends with uh, a lot of the people. Uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see life come full circle. And I want to touch one base on one other thing. You said about my mother dropping me off to die. Well, that's not the end of the story, because the story, I guess it's... 15 years later, I take my mother from New Orleans. I purchase the house next door for my mother. I take care of my mother till the day she dies oh, wow. uh, of Alzheimer's. So uh, what better you know, testimony than to a mother that's praying for her son to get well, takes him to the home of grace, uh, lets him go, because that's the loving thing to do. She knew that I would either die, which wouldn't be that bad, or B, I'd turn to God mm -hmm. and uh, then be able to pay back that mother with the only thing she wanted was her son to get well. And she not only saw me get well, she saw me, you know, become a community leader, become somebody with, uh, I guess, some responsibility and someone that made a difference in other people's lives. So that uh, well, that's an that's an amazing that's an amazing part of the story. Hey, so so here we are. Katrina hits, the recovery effort is, is, is moving along. You've got mm -hmm. the rebuild Jackson County effort. And in a, in a course of 10 or 15 years, the Baker McCarty Foundation just exploded. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? And, and, and where are you today? I think, it's, I think it's been successful because of the personal relations. Uh, again, I had the best job in the world at M&M, where you were able to go out in the community and look for the needs. And we just had another funding mechanism, uh, an idea how we could take monies from, uh, you know, uh, private companies. And uh, uh, obviously it all changed by meeting, you know, uh, the friends at IP. Uh, you're now closing in on close to $3 million. And uh, uh, we do a lot of things with Chevron. So in a lot of ways, we're the one organization that's connected industry with gaming with education with uh and and you're seeing a, a void in your community and and you've got a good board of directors that believes in what you're doing uh they've always been supportive of uh, whatever my uh, strategic thoughts or focus might be and uh you know you go out one person at a time uh, you know we're not the largest foundation in, on the planet we're actually very small from a monetary standpoint but we're a tremendously effective organization because if someone comes to me, I don't promote giving to Baco McCarty. I promote philanthropy anywhere. Right. Just get out there and be a part of your community. And we've we've helped a lot of organizations get off the ground. Uh, just recently, you know, Dickie and Zach Scruggs with Second Chance Mississippi. We've partnered with them. Uh, it's unlimited as to where this can all go. We work very closely with Roger Wilder over at the Gulf Coast Community Foundation. Uh, and I've also known that you can have the best cause in the world, but you have to get it out to the people. And that's where our relationships came. Yeah. I, I didn't become a professional friend of people like yourself. And I, I, we became personal friends, professional friends. We started hanging out together. And uh, uh, it's been, a, it's been a, a, a tremendous blessing, I think, for this entire region. Kathy Springer from the United Way of South Mississippi said yesterday that United Way is making is, is meeting needs. They're also building capacity in the nonprofit commu community. But it takes a healthy nonprofit sector across 
all the potential dimensions of our of our community to be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see how the nonprofit communities work together. You know, you're not competing with each other. You're just working together to try to figure out who's going to meet which need because there are a lot of gaps in the community today, mm-hmm. aren't there, Todd? There are, and, uh, you know, you can't go in with a set mindset that uh, the goal is to meet the need and move on to something else. And, uh, you know, we've started a lot of programs, but we're not there to – we're to, to help them – I guess get off the ground, uh, but then we'll move on to something else. And uh, uh, again, what other community do you have anywhere? And I, I've lived in big cities, but I don't know uh, any community that is as closely connected as ours through Rotary, through civic clubs, through nonprofits, whether it be United Way, the foundations we have here on the coast, uh, the business community uh, of giving back. Uh, it, it really is an incredible, incredible area. Kathy and I talked yesterday about the generosity of Mississippians, and especially South Mississippians. But you see it every day, don't you? We do. Uh, you just uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of people that don't want to be recognized. Uh, I have I have a six figure uh, donor that does not want anyone to know who they are, and they give quite a bit of money. Uh, sort of a humbleness to it. Uh, I hope that. Uh, in these final years of my career that we can get others to uh, realize that the reason our community is so good is because of uh, people that uh, left monies, the Dantzlers, the, you know, the Bakos, uh, you know, those that have left a portion of their uh, blessing in a, a state uh, to better in our community. And so uh, that's really going to be, I think, our focus over the next several years. That, that's, that's outstanding. You know, I've, I've been super impressed with uh, the, the, how you've been able to maintain the golf tournament over all these years, the golfing fundraiser, the, uh, the Jolly, mm-hmm. um, and then more recently, the uh, Renaissance to Run, Runway, and, oh, yeah. and there are other fundraisers as well. When we come back after this break, I really want to kind of break down what some of the main events that you're involved in mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe some of, the, some of the things that you're most proud of. The other thing I want to do is in reflecting... I want you to think about, as you look back on your history, um, you know, how do you reflect on it to our listeners, and especially to those who may have have needs? Uh, I I want you to speak to them. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, uh, we're with uh, Todd Trenchard, the executive director of the Baco McCarty Foundation, and uh, we'll, we'll continue the conversation after this break. Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back. We've got Todd Trenchard, who is the executive director of the Baco McCarty Foundation. And we've had a, an amazing journey with him this morning about his life, about his resiliency, uh, his story of, you know, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's inspiring stories. Um, so we it's were, inspiring to me. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, I'm sure that it is. <laughs> 
So we were talking about the Baker McCarty Foundation and mm-hmm. you know the long-standing Jolly and the uh, Renaissance, the Runway. Uh, talk about each of those a little bit, and what else? What else is going on? Well, what what you have to understand, uh, a foundation is not about the events that it puts on. It's about developing a relationship with people, establishing a, I guess, reputation, uh, uh, something that can be trusted. And a real foundation is born when somebody says, I like what you're doing, and they walk in your office and they write a seven-figure check. Right. The <laughs> the big events that we put on are a way to bring your community together so they know each other better, they start shopping with each other, they start communicating with each other. That's what has made the whole IP philosophy of a, let's put on these super events at our forum uh, and get people together many times a year. And we've built a strong community because of it. Uh, it's not about the amount of money raised. It's not about the events themselves. I mean, we're not professional, you know, put on. But we put on something that people can be proud of. Uh, the Jolly has now started to take on, uh, you know, it, it has a feeling. You chaired it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's times 10 from there. And yeah. each year it just seems to get bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Renaissance the Runway. I was talking to you before the show uh you know just how excited everybody is to and it's putting us in circles of influence we never were before now we're in the gulf coast carnival association andy ostalid (laughs) helping us get into some circles that again are great for relationship building in the future and uh, i try not to focus on how much money you're going to raise i try to focus on putting on the best effort we can and from there, it's the board's responsibility to follow up yeah, and yeah. talk with people that they may be met. Well, I want to I want to congratulate you and the Baker Marcardi Foundation and everyone involved, the board and those who give, for creating such a wonderful nonprofit that has really stood the test of time. But I want to shift gears as we mm-hmm. as we close this out. I, I want you to reflect a little bit on, you know, how you got to this moment. And what your message is to anyone who may be listening, who, who needs encouragement to take that next step to find their hope. Governor Winter at Leadership Mississippi said something that stuck with me. And I, I guess at the time, I, he probably didn't make it up, but he said, uh, the measure of success will be how resilient you are. Uh, no matter how many times you fall down, get up. Uh, and that has been my life is an example no matter how many times you fall dust off get up hold your head high uh don't repeat the same mistake Uh, i've been blessed to have tremendous adversity in life but i learned at a relatively young age what life's all about a lot of people learn about it on their deathbed and this is the essence of life it's not about you it's about what god can do through you that'll be the measure of your day and again, a lot of people get that on their deathbed. I was able to get it at a young age and now live, uh, hopefully, uh, a long life practicing that and understanding that. I'll, I'll fail. I'll continue to fail, but I'll continue to dust off. I'll continue to get up. Uh, you're not going to keep me down. <laughs> not going to keep you down. This is what we do. Yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the opportunity to lead by example. Well, it's an awesome responsibility, and uh, 
I wouldn't trade it for anything. I say all the time, I've had enough. No, I love this. Mm. I mean, this is what I love to do. You know, Christy Pickering wrote her book, Courage, Mm -hmm. about her 21-year abusive relationship. And she had a similar message. She said, you have to, first, you have to have courage. And you have to you have to choose to take action. You have to find your story. You have to you have to tell your story and, and not let anyone stop you from telling your story. And if you are willing to do that and you develop a plan, you can you can find peace. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, isn't there, Todd? There is, and it's a good life. I've worked with a lot of recovery people over the years. Uh, I've buried a lot of people that could not ever get it, uh, but. Uh, through it all, uh, you lead by an example. Uh, for the past 22 years, I haven't had to have a drink or a drug. Uh, my life has gotten better than I could have ever imagined. I'm looking at it from a different set of glasses than I was 20-plus years ago. So uh, I don't know where it's going from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been a tremendous privilege and honor to be on uh, a radio show. I never thought this t- when I first met you that you'd be behind a radio. <laughs> but like I told you at the break, You'll be mm-hmm. successful at this, Ricky, because you've been successful wherever you went. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've just moved to another location. and that. <laughs> well, as long as I have guests like you who are willing to inspire, that's, you know, I want this to make a difference. You know, well, I'm not, I wasn't looking for a job. I'm looking for an opportunity to make a difference in the community. And you have. We're coming, we're coming to the end of our show, but I want to I end with one of those quotes that I had at the beginning, which is, adversity introduces a man to himself. I hope that what you learned today was a, an incredible story about how Todd and his adversity found himself and, and as a result were, was able to inspire people like me and you. And I hope you, I hope you live a long life, buddy, and continue to inspire people because you have a lot of good to do in your life. Thank you. Appreciate it. Tomorrow, we have uh, uh, Brigadier General Joe Spragans. And uh, man, what a great story he has. I can't wait to spend an hour with him. He's a cat with nine lives. He's done it all, and he continues to do it all. He loves to work. He loves to make a difference. And what a great conversation it's going to be. Look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Have a great day. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.